Hi, I'm Marianne Hogan, and I'm a makeup artist. I have done makeup on some of the biggest stars, including John Elway, Shaquille O'Neal, and President Ford. And you're listening to Kyle on the Isle. Greetings and welcome to Kyle on the Isle. I'm Kyle Olson. Today, we're stepping into the fascinating world of makeup artistry with the incredibly talented Marianne Hogan. For decades, Marianne has been the magic behind the mirror, working her beauty and makeup wizardry on some of the most famous faces in the world. From celebrities to politicians and even newsmakers, her brushes have touched faces that have graced magazine covers and red carpets alike. But Marianne's journey isn't just about the glamour. Her story begins in the most unexpected of ways, a tale that will surprise and inspire. It's a story of a woman finding her way in the dazzling yet demanding world of beauty, a tale of persistence, passion, and powder brushes. From her humble beginnings where she navigated the complexities of the beauty industry to mastering the art of creating the perfect look, Marianne's career is a testament to following one's dreams and the transformative power of makeup. So get ready for an episode that's all about the art and soul of beauty as we dive into the life of Marianne Hogan, a makeup magician who proves that with talent, determination, and a little bit of lipstick, anything is possible. And action! Mary Ann Hogan, welcome to Kyle on the Isle. We are so thrilled to have you here today. I am so happy to be here, Kyle. You know you're my favorite person in the whole world. Oh, stop it. No. And it was immediate, the first minute i met you it was like uh, i knew you in other lifetimes yes we clicked right away when we first met in denver all those years ago on that bachelor franchise shoot <laughs> yes and i've loved the fact that we've been able to stay in touch since then and you know oh, social we... media keeps us together it's meant to be and we have the same guy for our taxes isn't geo amazing Ugh. That might be the biggest takeaway. That's yeah. that's a that's a Hollywood tip. I think we can just hit stop. <laughs> that's it. That's the whole interview. All you need to know is that as long as Gio's doing your taxes, you're good to go. I hope he lives forever. Oh, he has to. He has to. Or else who will do our taxes? No idea. I will be asking you. <laughs> Well, I'm so thrilled to have you here. You have worked on so many different things throughout your career. And as a result, that makes you a very fascinating guest with lots to talk about. Oh, I have so much. I like to kind of start these things at the very beginning, right? Every hero has an origin story. And so for you, I'm curious, when did your kind of first interests of the industry and Hollywood and movie stardom and all these kind of things 
first kind of start to percolate in what I imagine was a young Marianne. Right. When I was about three or four. Okay. And I knew that I was meant to do this, but my parents thought that was evil and they wanted me to be either a nurse or a teacher. Mm. I finally got to leave home and come to Boulder, Colorado, where people were like me. Mm. Up until that point, I thought maybe there was something wrong with me. Mm. And it was only then that I started finding out that there was so much right with me. So anyway, I was in Boulder and I had this great job working at this home for developmentally disabled adults that I still dream about. Mm. I love these people so much. But the leader of the whole thing was like Nurse Ratched. She was so mean. And I tried everything I could do. So anyway, one day I come home from a really hard day at work and I said, I just wish I could find a job that had no social substance whatsoever because this is breaking my heart. My roommate at the time who was much more adventuresome, said, well, why don't you become a Playboy bunny? So I said, is there one somewhere here around here? She said, yeah, I'm Denver. Interesting. So we got up the huge Denver Boulder yellow pages, I mean, that long ago, and we start going through till we find the Denver Playboy Club. So we call the number, and I, I think it was Bunny Susie. Okay. This little chirpy boy said, Playboy Club, this is Bunny Susie. And I said, oh, could I talk to the personnel department? And she said, what job are you looking to have? And I said, Playboy Bunny. And she said, oh, you'll need to talk to Janet the Bunny Mother. Just a second, and I'll put you through. Like, Janet the Bunny Mother? And so Janet gets on. It was very great. Oh, and it turns out that Janet was only 25 years old, but the Playboy Club thought she was a bunny, but they thought she looked too old at 25. So they gave her the option of being a bunny mother. And so she took it. And now how old were you when you're making the call to Playboy? I was 21. 21. Okay. So my roommate had these really ladylike clothes for me to wear. Like she knew how to look like the girl next door, right. like they, they did. So I go to the appointment and bunny mother Janet's office is all pink. She starts talking to me. And then, cause I had like a knee length skirt on and she said, would you pull your skirt back so I can see your hip line? And so I literally thought it was when she needed me to flash her or I said, <laughs> you pull my Pull my skirt up. Right. Or back. She said, no, 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 just back. I just want to see your hip line. And then she said, okay, you'll need to go and see our costume matron, Ruby. Mm-hmm. And she was in there all the time, Ruby. She was crafting outfits for our individual bodies. Right. And Ruby was the scariest person I might have ever seen. Wow. And she looks through some of the old costumes and she said you have to put on these pantyhose and then these over the pantyhose and then you invoke and it was like I was so scared because I wanted to do it right so then it came to the part where she said and then you need to push your breasts together so that they touch each other in the center okay and I had no idea 
whether or not my breasts would do that. <laughs> but also the costumes are kind of built to do that. So you would look great in one, you know? So <laughs> I don't know about that, but that's very kind of you. Oh, honey, you know you would. <laughs> Back to the bunny mother. She likes the way I look in the costume. And then she had the manager come up. Well, it happened to be Columbus Day, back when people celebrated Columbus Day. And he was dressed like Columbus. (laughs) And so the whole thing was just so Fellini-esque. So here's what he says to me. Why do you want to be a bunny? Holy fuck. I mean, I really wanted to be one because I thought it's not socially heart-wrenching. And that Gloria Steinem had become one so that she could see what the hell's going on. So I thought it's going to be interesting just to try out, even if it doesn't go anywhere. So I sort of lied. I said, because I've always wanted to be one. And I figure I'm not getting any younger. And he said, great. So whatever, he gave the signal. And so she said, okay, can you start next week? Wow. So basically, you pick up the phone one day. You say, I'm curious to see if maybe this could be for me. They invite you in. You have a costume fitting. You talk to a few people. And the next thing you know, you're putting in your two-week notice to go be a Playboy bunny in Denver. Yes. Wow. Now, how long were you a Playboy bunny for? About three years. Okay. And during that time... Were you looking for other opportunities in the industry? Was this starting to begin a curiosity for you into acting and other elements of the industry? Yes, sort of, because we had what they called the penthouse. Right. And so we had to really be really good in the living room and the bar to finally get to be fabulous enough to be in the penthouse. Right. And so we would have these great shows. And who we had all the time was Steve Martin. Okay. And nobody liked him. He had a little cult following. That was when he had brown hair. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I was just getting through the day. Right. But thinking that it was kind of fun. But honest to God, I actually wrote to him several years ago because he's even talked about how miserable he was in Denver. And so I just said, I was a bunny at the time. I just want to tell you that I'm so sorry. Because I remember him standing backstage, getting ready to come on. And that poor guy looked as miserable as anybody could possibly look. Wow. And I remember even then feeling sorry for him. But obviously, I didn't have to feel sorry for him. Right. Yeah, it worked out all right for Steve. Yeah. Plus, <laughs> while I was a bunny, they were shooting Sleeper, Woody Allen's movie. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of had a mad, passionate dalliance with one of the, I won't say who, but I I got to hang out kind of with Woody Allen. And I was a theater major in, in college. Okay. And I really always did want to act. I felt like God wanted me to act. Mm. But God didn't really provide whatever it was to get there. Right. So that was always in the back of my mind. Was there a gotcha film that made you go, I want to do that? I think it was when I was eight years old and I saw Mary Poppins. Oh, what a great movie, huh? Oh, my God. And it's exactly what we love. Everybody loves it. 
everyone's included. We all cared yes. about the actors. And I remember sitting there in the theater and I was thinking, first time in my life, eight years old, and I thought, I never want this movie to end. Wow. That's a great feeling, isn't it? Especially as a kid, right? Yeah. You just found your happy zone, right? And in this theater, you're just so into it. You just never want that feeling to end. Yeah. And I was a pretty unhappy kid because I had a really hard childhood. Yeah. And so there was something about being there and thinking, I want to make people happy. Mm. Because I'm happy. Everyone in the theater is happy. And this is what I want to do. I yeah. want to be different than my family. I want to love everybody and make everybody happy. That's beautiful. And I really always did want to act. I was a theater major in college. And even as a high school sophomore, the seniors were so pissed because I would try out for plays. I always got the lead role. And then they would say, we can't have Marianne be the lead. So they would get somebody else, but then they would like, suddenly not be able to do it because their nerves or whatever. And here comes Mary Ann, just like Mary Poppins floating in with the umbrella. I know. They're <laughs> like, Mary Ann, can you learn this in two weeks? I said, oh, hell yes. Absolutely. Where's the costumes? Okay, so basically, you're growing up, you yeah. see Mary Poppins, it kind of gives you an aha moment that, ooh, I'm interested in this. I'm mm -hmm. interested in the arts because of how it makes people feel. Yeah. Right? From yeah. there, in high school, you're one of the leading stars in the high school theater performances. Yes. And then you get into college and you study this. You go all in. Yes. You kind of put all your chips into this basket, right? Yeah. Okay. But I'm in Boulder. I did some theater in college and I got distracted by being a bunny and then marrying my hippie boyfriend. Right. And then starting to have kids. And then he turned out to be the worst husband in the world. I will say that on a Bible. Yeah. So I ended up being a single mother of three little kids. And yeah. they were all really close in age. My husband at the time would take off work so that I could go to auditions. Having three kids at home, there's no way that I could really have a regular job. For, you know, Daycare would have been more than I would have ever made. So I was already Screen Actors Guild in 1983. Right. But when I realized I really needed for the sake of my kids to not have them be in a family the way things were going, mm -hmm. I had to do it for them. And they were all still really young. And then all I thought about was how am I going to, give them the best life that I possibly can. Right. And my prayer was, please, God, let me get these kids safely to shore from this mm -hmm. tumult. Right. Safely to shore. That's all I ask. Yeah. And was able mm -hmm. to do that because got them scholarships. They went to the best schools across the nation. I got them all the way through college doing makeup in Denver for a living. And in fact, at the time, I didn't even say I acted anymore because I didn't want people to think in the business, oh, she's really an actress. She's not really a makeup artist. And I needed to make the money. Right. So I became a makeup artist, never talked about acting, even though it was my deepest dream. All right. So let me just recap this because 
there's a lot happening in this story, right? You have this dream to be an actor. You are at the Playboy Mansion. You're gaining experience. But after the marriage and having kids, you start to see this situation unfolding with your then-husband. And you realize that this is a situation that you need to get your kids out of. And you also realize that in order to do so, you need a new job that ultimately pays more. And in all of these realizations, you start to piece together that maybe being a makeup artist can help you support your kids, right? Yes. I actually went to real estate school Okay, because I was just, I, I thought I needed something really solid. I knew nothing about real estate, but I was thinking that way. So the best makeup artist who had ever done makeup on me as an actress took me aside and said, I used to wear tons of makeup. She said, Marianne, you already do makeup better than most makeup artists in this town. Mm. She said, I would like to teach you makeup. And when I get too much work, I'll give you the extra work. Wow. And she was so good. I mean, I really thought I looked horrible lots of times. But as an actor, you can't say, eh, eh. But this person made me look like a damn angel. Wow. And so she really knew what she was doing. But she also admired what I did, right? So I thought, yeah, that'd be fun because I've loved makeup since the time I was born. So one day, almost right away, she calls and she said, can you come in? I'm just going to show you some stuff. I think we had a meeting for like two hours. And then that was it. I thought we were going to have more meetings. But then one day she calls and she said, so-and-so is going to be calling you. I won't be able to do it. So you'll go do that. I'm telling you, I was terrified. Yeah. I was really crippling along money-wise. But sure enough, the guy calls me. And my biggest instinct was to say, oh, hell no. But I didn't want to make Liz look bad. I thought, Marianne, you're an actor. You've been on sets enough. You could act like you know what you're doing. (laughs) You can fake it till you make it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I just like, yeah, I'll be there. People who are getting a team together, they don't care what your resume looks like. They care that somebody recommended you. Right. It's not what you know. It's who you know. Exactly. No one wants to work with somebody who's not nice. Right. And some people are nicer than others. And some people know what's important on any given set. And what's important to me, and I think this is why we're good at what we do, is we know what's important is to have the vision of the director and the producer come into life like magic. Mm -hmm. And that's all I care about. So even though obviously I'm kind of seem flashy and all of that, every single thing I do or think on a set is... How can I make the actors feel comfortable in who they are? And how can I add to the value of having a great experience for everyone on this set? And that's the ideal. That's what really every production wants. Right. Exactly. Every production is looking for that at the end of the day, right? Yes. So this is really interesting. You have a heck of a journey 
to what is essentially your first real makeup gig, right? I feel like your story really, it's certainly unique in you know, the Playboy Bunny and this kind of thing. But in a lot of ways, I feel like it's very similar to most people starting in the industry where we all kind of fake it till we make it at the front. We all kind of beef up the resume early on and say, ah, oh, yeah, I can do that. And we do a little research on the side and make sure we have it all together before we go to set and that sort of thing. And it sounds like you were obviously no exception. So you kind of get introduced into this world of makeup artistry. And not only were you introduced to it, but then fast forward decades later you've become one of the more renowned folks in your field doing this i want to read off just a few of the credits that you've had during your career the sopranos the shining it's a miracle rescue 911 america's most wanted perry mason commercials for mcdonald's and blockbuster remember blockbuster fuji <laughs> film caviar the list goes on you have done so many different productions over the years, and it's very clear, as you kind of just alluded to, that your love and your passion and your personality all go into these productions. And so I'm really interested to learn, in all of the experiences that you've had, what is the production as being a makeup artist that stands out the most to you as being the most excellent experience you've had to date? Do you know, every single one is my favorite. And it's because when I was an actor, I got my energy drained for me sitting in the makeup chair from the well-meaning but (laughs) wrong-headed makeup artists because they don't understand how energy works and how energy is supposed to flow. Right. So it was such a privilege for me to actually be on the other side and to, without words, I literally see every person in my chair as this unique gem that obviously has something important to say, or I wouldn't be doing makeup on them because they're going to be on camera. Right. And even the most famous actors can get really nervous in the makeup chair. So my job is to get very grounded and full of love for this human being who is also either famous or has something important to say. And I wish there was a way to quantify it because what I do know for real is that what I do on a makeup, on a set as a makeup artist is the most important job on the set. And it's because I'm so close to them. I'm literally touching in their personal space. Mm-hmm. And it's a very sacred space. You don't get really close to people and, and especially famous people. Sometimes they don't even like to look and look them in the eye, but I always, I'm just so comfortable and compassionate for them. Yeah. So literally when I'm doing their makeup, I'm filling them with energy. I always make sure they look at themselves because if there's anything they want to be different, I don't want them to see this clip at some point and think, why is my hair doing that? And it's, it's very subjective, but they know what they want to look like. And so I really collaborate with them 
And by the time they get in front of the camera, their takes are beautiful. And they feel so integrated into the space. They feel so sure of what they're going to say. And it wells up in them. I do magic. I love what you said a moment ago about how you've worked on many people through the years. Obviously, many of those are famous people, actors, actresses, Mm -hmm. folks that have scripted lines in movies Mm -hmm. and TV shows. And then other folks who are maybe famous for different reasons. The way you put it is, I think, such a great way to say it. Just people that have a story to tell that other folks are listening to. And I'd like to talk to you about one or two of those experiences. One of the ones that I know you worked on was an interview a few years back that Diane Sawyer did with Sue Klebold. And Sue was the mother of one of the gunmen from Columbine. And this was obviously a huge primetime special. And this is just off the heels of Sue's book. I think it was called A Mother's Reckoning that talks about it. And it's a great book for anybody that is looking for a good book these days. It's an amazing book, right? And this was an opportunity for Sue to sit down with Diane Sawyer to talk about the book. And this was really the first time that somebody in this kind of a very unique position was coming forward in a public fashion to talk about what it was like to be the mother of a gunman at a school mass shooting. Yes. And all she had heard before that and felt was the hatred and the vitriol of she must have been a terrible mother. Right. And it's her fault. Right. A lot of critiques and criticism all around. So I'm curious, when Sue walks into your makeup room, which is probably minutes before she's going to go on with Diane Sawyer, which is, you know, nerve wracking in itself, especially considering her position. I think the larger point that I'm getting to here is that you've been witness to a lot of very intimate special, the actor calls it the moment before, right? The moment before they go on stage, the moment before they go to an interview. And, you know, again, there's so many elements that are feeding into this. What is that like being one of the only trusted people in this room where tensions are high and there's so much at stake for her And, you know, for the ratings, for the network, you know, there's so many different things going on. What is that like for you? It's holy. Mm. It's what I was made to do on this side of the camera. Mm. Because I mothered my three kids, mothered and fathered them is what I feel like. And then at some point, I'm not supposed to have that much say in their lives anymore. And it's not that I had say in... Sue Klebold's life, but the love that I have, I literally feel love and compassion and empathy for this woman. And like you said, such a hard situation for her to be in. So I get very grounded. I feel so much love and so protective of this woman without feeling sorry for her, not at all. Empowering her to tell her story, that we all have stories to tell and 
she had an important story for people to hear. And it was important not only for her, but for the world to hear. One of the things I did with her, I actually talked directly with the Penguin Random House person, because that was who was the publisher. And they had had this big talent scout to find the makeup artist who would be the most empathetic, kind, and good at what she did. So one of the things I did right away, and as a woman, I know this, I said, make sure that Sue brings her favorite, especially a a lip gloss or a whatever. And I often do this, especially if it's a nerve wracking situation, is that she needs to have the scent. Sometimes Mm. when you're in a really frightening moment, the scent or the feel of her special makeup that feels right to her. They were saying they wanted it to be very natural. Right. She was just completely barefaced. And so I just went in and, you know, it's just really easy to just notice beautiful things like, oh, your hairline is, and I love the way your hair is, you know, none of it's a lie. I'm loving her and making sure that her lips, because she's going to talk and feel her lips and they need to feel like her they need to feel like home they need to feel like she's inhabiting her skin and her muscles and her soul yeah i think this gets to kind of a deeper point here right which is that you talk about how you're doing makeup and of course we all realize that makeup has a cosmetic you know Mm -hmm. difference appeal effect what have you but There's a little bit more that's going on here than just makeup. You talk about the energy, but there's another thing that really comes to my mind, which is confidence, right? You are essentially instilling in whoever's in your chair, in this case, Sue, a confidence that otherwise they might not have. And it's so interesting that you talk about bring your favorite lipstick or what have you from home, because that plays into, to an extent, your psyche and how you perceive your confidence before you're about to go on live with Diane Sawyer, right? Yes. What we want, what Diane wants, what we all want is for her to feel at home, for her to feel her own power as a human being so that she can just honestly share her story and not feel nervous or judged or disliked. Right. And there's also a flip side to this too, right? I've been on shows and I'm sure you've seen this happen throughout your career where the opposite effect can happen at times. Somebody goes into the chair before a big moment, before an interview, before a live performance, whatever it is. And the makeup artists, they're rushing, they're putting too much on, they're not listening to who's in the chair, they're listening to the director in the booth that's saying, add some more layers, add some more color, do this, do that. And they don't see themselves. They don't see the confidence. They don't feel yes. the way that they want to feel comfortable being obviously a key feeling here. And they go out into these performance arenas, whatever it is, whether it's an interview or whether it's a stage show or anything in between, mm-hmm. and it comes across, right? And it's because of something as, dare I say, easy or quote unquote simple as makeup, right? This can have a huge impact on how not only others perceive us, but how we perceive ourselves. Exactly. 
that comes directly from the makeup artist. So just the example you just gave, the makeup artist being frantic because these people are talking to her, so she feels bad about herself, and her fingers are in their their personal space, and so they don't even know why they're feeling bad about themselves, too. Right. It fuels the fire. Yes. But I feel like I am sovereign Mm. over this human being, and... I'm really good because I'm really quick. Like I get that all the time because like some makeup artists like to go on forever. I know exactly what points to hit. If somebody says you've got two minutes, I can actually do something in two minutes. My confidence in myself and my love of the work and of film and of human beings, I feel absolutely at home and very empowered in my position, then if the director's a little antsy or something and we've got a problem like, I don't know, some terrible scar they need to cover up or something, I'll just say, just a moment, and then I'll go and I'll really talk to the director because I want the director to feel good too, but I'm like a liaison right? if I need to be. But really, you know, when you come onto a set and you're so full of love and you make people feel so good, it goes into the crew, too. So we talk about these different experiences that you've had. What is a time where you've had to kind of get creative in the field and do a little bit of problem solving as a makeup artist? Well, one of my favorite moments because it worked so well, they just thought it was some great product. Um, I've never told anybody this before, so... I'm honored to hear the scoop. I know. (laughs) Well, it was a commercial with John Elway. Okay. And so this was a really big deal. And I was hired as hair. So since I'm in Denver so much of the time, I have to do hair and makeup. But Caviar, the company that was making the commercial... They were so classy. They said, we want to have a hair person and a makeup person. Somehow I got the hair job. So John Elway must have just recently got his hair cut, which as any of us know in the business, don't ever get a haircut more than two weeks before because your hair doesn't know what to do. It's kind of freaking Mm -hmm. out. Well, I didn't really mind at all. I had already signed off on, He looks great. He knows how he wants to look. But just on the side, kind of the shorter parts, on the extreme close-up, you could kind of see it sticking out a little bit. But it looked natural to me. It just looked kind of cute, like nice. No one was concerned, but this one person said, can you get that to lay down? So I'm like, sure. So I had some gel, and I put it on. It was in between takes because we weren't going to do the close-up yet. Didn't work. Freezing hairspray didn't work. I mean, it was just short and I just wanted to stand out. So I just went to craft services. I got a little cup and I put honey in it. Uh And then on the next take, I just went up to that darling John Elway with his honey colored hair and just patted it right along there. Smell good, natural. <laughs> I think it was even organic. And that hair laid down like it wanted to. It totally worked. It was perfect. And nobody was the wiser. No one knew until now. 
<laughs> I love that. Dishing out the Hollywood secrets that we love to hear on this podcast. Okay. Well, this makes me want to ask you another question here, okay. which is you talk about a time where you have to be creative and problem solve. What do you think has been one of the more challenging productions of your career? <laughs> well, there's been so many, but one that comes to mind is the year that Diddy was the host of the MTV Awards. Okay. And I was living in New York and we had to go across town into Hell's Kitchen up on a rooftop. The theme of that year was waterfalls. Okay. And Diddy was dressed up in a black tux. My job was to do makeup that wouldn't wash away in the waterfalls because the girls were all going to be in it. Right. Eight Ford models, all so beautiful, came all barefaced. And my job was to make them all up and make them look beautiful and have it not wash away and their hair and not have it wash away under the waterfall that was right. rigged up on top of the building. The other little trick of this thing was that there was a wardrobe person and her job was to bring eight bikinis, eight black ones and eight white ones because they hadn't decided yet. And it probably did. He had a, a white tux too, in case they decided to do the white. Right. So everyone was really pleased with how I did my makeup. And I can still remember exactly what I did because I kind of figured it all out. You have to be a chemist kind of knowing what yeah. works with what. Sure. And they look beautiful. I really can't remember if they did white or black, but it was <laughs> really a fun shoot. And the crew was just amazing. It was when I realized yeah. that New Yorkers are the nicest people in the world most of the time. And this was no exception. Well, there you have it. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, when I hear you talk about all these stories, I can't help but think that there are so many times, and we all experience this no matter what part of the industry we work in, but I think it's especially true for makeup artists, that there's always a bit of a pressure cooker. There's always, we got to get it done in 10 minutes, or we got to do it because of this, or something's coming up next, or, you know, there's all these pressures and there's things happening and there's eyes looking and there's opinions being hurled around the room and all these kind of things. And then I go onto your website to do some research here as we're getting ready for this episode. And I find that one of the people that you worked with was President Gerald Ford. <laughs> and, and so you think about all these elements that I just mentioned, but then you also throw into it. You've got Secret Service in the room. You've got all these extra eyeballs looking into your bags and watching every single move of every single brush that you're putting on a former president of the United States. And I just can't help but wonder, what is an experience like that like? You talked earlier about how intimate this world is and how it is in a personal bubble, unlike what really most jobs in this industry are. And that can be nerve wracking for anybody, but it must be especially so with a president with all these extra eyes from Secret Service watching, no? Well, I feel like I'm really in my element when that happens because I've done so many CEOs of big uh, companies and President Ford was just a puddle. 
What I found with very important men who we think are gods in their own world is they are dying to have a creative moment with someone creative who's fun. Mm. And so many CEOs and probably President Ford too, people get their little entourage around them are very nervous. And they say to me almost every, they just feel my confidence and they think it's really fun to have a creative experience with somebody that's nice and fun. President Ford really loved making jokes. And at one point we're doing the, where you you have the suit on, you sit on the edge of your coat so that all of this is nicely. And he just loved that whole thing. Like, well, is my butt good? You know, (laughs) he was just adorable. Oh, and the Secret Service, once they get that I'm me, my look is my credential. I just went in and out of the room like the president's dog. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, that's incredible. There's a throwback. But I remember how when I was watching, I think it was like one of the last episodes of the Oprah Winfrey show. Mm. And Oprah talked about how everybody in the world has a passion. Mm. And kind of one of you know life's biggest goals is to find those passions and unlock them. And she talked about how, you know, there's people that love popping zits for a living and there's people that love to mow grass for a living or whatever it is. And Uh like, it's so clear hearing when you talk about doing this, that this is a passion of yours, that this Mm. is something that you truly enjoy doing and that you see it more than just what the surface level is, right? Again, like we talked earlier, it's not just makeup. It's confidence. It's energy. There's other things that go into play here. And you are one of those people that has an influencing factor before whomever it is you're dealing Mm. with goes on to whatever stage they're going to, right? And that's a big responsibility. Oh, yes. I take it very seriously. And- More times than not, the person or their entourage will say, how did you do that? So this is my next question then. If you were doing a masterclass, the masterclass of Marianne Hogan, and you're giving your first lesson on how do you do it? What is the magic behind your approach to makeup artistry? What would your first lesson be on? My first lesson would be because... I've had so many people tell me what makeup artists have done with them Mm. is never criticize the person in the chair. It's a great answer. Actors will say, oh my God, so-and-so did my makeup and said, your skin is terrible. Or why did you make your eyebrows so thin? You really ruined your eyebrows. I mean, they honestly say these things. Wow. And and have to believe that they think they're doing good, but how is that good? Right. Never criticize anything. And even when sometimes people point out to me, they'll say, oh, I'm sorry, I've got this. And I said, that's what I'm here for. If you didn't have something for me to fix, I wouldn't have a job. So thank you. It's going to be so easy. No one will ever see it. Oh, yeah. That's actually a really great approach because we've all got things, right? Yeah. We all are nervous as hell about our looks. And that's why, literally, I beam love with these people. I beam like the damn sun. I am so glad to be with this individual who has something important to say, or they wouldn't be in my chair. And 
I want them to feel a hundred percent themselves and really like they can't mess up because the more comfortable they are, the more them we get to see and their message becomes even clearer through their acceptance of who they are. I think that's great. I like that a lot. I'm hearing you talk about all of these incredible experiences that you had as a makeup artist, but there's also something in the back of my head that I can't stop thinking about, which is that early on, you mentioned that your initial love and passion was acting. And so I'm curious if at any point you were able to kind of change the sales, so to speak, and follow that passion of yours yet again. So a couple years after my kids all graduated from college and they were all living kind of all over the world, it occurred to me that I had given up my dream. Mm. And what was so important was I knew that it was important for my kids to not look at me as this dried up husk that had given everything to them and then they would have to feel guilty the rest of their lives or whatever. So I had torn out articles from the New Yorker and different ones about this acting teacher, Susan Batson, that taught people that what actors actually do in life is act out these tremendous, painful, agonizing things. They get through them. But what the audience does when they're watching this is they get changed. Mm. They don't have to have those terrible experiences. Right. They live them out through you. So almost giving our guts out for the public in order to help the world evolve. Right. And man, was I impressed with her. And it was really because of her way of thinking that did it. But it also turned out that she's Juliette Venosha's private acting coach and Nicole Kidman's. In fact, Nicole Kidman always thanks her when she gets any of her awards. So when my son came home from college that Christmas, after they'd been in their fields for a couple of years, I said, can you find this person? And so I booked, there was one class you could take that you didn't have to audition for. I was so scared and I got there very early and everyone was teenagers. I was like 54 or waiting for the classes to start. And all of a sudden, little Susan Batson comes in and even the people who wrote about her for the New Yorker said she looks like a little tiny Eartha Kitt. I mean, the cartoon that they made of her, I recognized her immediately and she came up directly to me, I guess because I was old. And so she's like, what the hell is this? (laughs) And so she came directly to me and said, I'm Susan Batson. And I wanted to say, I fucking know, honey. (laughs) I've been worshiping you. And she said, you know what? I want to come back when you do your monologue. Because we're all going to do the same monologue. Because I want to see your work. She wanted to see my work. Oh, my gosh. So I thought, well. Who knows? I don't know my work, but I really did feel like all of a sudden it was real. Long story short, she 
literally took me by the arm at the end of class. She sat me down. She had her secretary. She said, I want her to sign up for every single class she wants to take this week. And I have a sense that she's not rich. So it doesn't matter. I don't want her to spend any more money than she's already for these noon classes. She's got this class called Gold Dust, and it's only famous actors who get to be in this Gold Dust, and that's on Fridays. And she said, and you'll come here around 5, and oftentimes it'll go until 5 in the morning. Wow. Hell yeah. What else am I doing, right? Right. So people were curious because all of a sudden I appear, and uh, I remember this one guy said, so what are you doing this week? And I said, well, I'm doing this. I'm going to have private with Susan. He goes, what do you mean? And he was in gold dust. He said, I've been asking her for a year to have a private and she won't have a private with me. Wow. Anyway, she took me under her wing and I ended up moving to New York because of Susan Batson yeah. and because she walked me into innovative artists. Yeah. Okay. And it's because of Susan's, clout right wow how incredible since right. i have my sign card it's really easy to get with background companies and then they would call me up if my look was right for certain roles so i get the call to be in the devil wears prada and that particular scene that i was in was at the saint regis hotel which was standing as being in Paris. And there was a right. few scenes that were shot in the St. Regis. So I get in this huge ballroom and this is the big moment when Meryl Streep is giving her talk and shocking whoever thought they were going to get the promotion or the award and somebody else got it. So all of those actors were everywhere. And because I love how I dress, I actually knew how to just nail it with the outfit. So... I got selected as one of four people that was going to sit at Meryl Streep's table. Oh, my gosh. I know. So I was like, this is it, man. Oh, plus, it was so great because we were even at craft service together, Meryl and me. But, of course, Meryl was keeping in character and stuff. But, she, oh, my God, she's Meryl. So then at the last minute, they pulled me. Because, but the most important thing was... Being able to see Meryl Streep work in real life. Yeah. And it was amazing. So it's the part where she's giving her speech up at the podium. And she must have done five or six takes at least. And every take was different. Mm. Must have been hitting certain points that they needed her to pin. But I was fascinated that because we were all SAG actors. Yeah. And what we know from acting is you always stay in character no matter what. Right. And that woman, it was a whole actor's class in seeing her stay in character throughout the entire speech. And I don't even know which take they ended up doing, but she was that character without even the tiniest cobweb of Meryl. She was that character. It was so beautiful. That must have been a really interesting experience because it's not every day that we get to be flies on the wall to, I mean, Meryl, arguably the greatest of yes. all time, right? Yes. Like just genuinely one of the most top of their class. Oh, my God. 
absolutely incredible. And so you being able to kind of have, you know, an insider view into the inner workings of how Meryl Streep is approaching her acting that must have reverberated to you and, you know, given you some lessons of your own, right? Yeah. And the fact that she is so kind, it's an example of, she just exudes confidence in who she is, who she is portraying. And it's really something to behold. So if I pull up my DVD for The Devil Wears Prada, am I going to see you in the background? If you were watching it with me, we would freeze frame (laughs) in a place and we'd look way back into, and you'd see me. Really? But you got to be an eagle eye for it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I ask this a lot to people and some say it's the awards and Mm -hmm. some say it's the Hollywood screenings or the test screenings when they're first putting Mm -hmm. a project in front of an audience, critical acclaim, Mm -hmm. personal satisfaction. You know, there's all these different Mm -hmm. ways, but how do you, Marianne, measure the impact of what you do? The way I measure the impact of what I do is, am I the kind of person I want to be? And did I behave with all of these people with the utmost kindness and empathy and support? Mm. And there's lots of times when I realize nobody realizes how good my makeup is (laughs) because they don't even care. I mean, I I see terrible mistakes made on beautiful series and well-funded huge blockbusters. And I think, does nobody have eyeballs? Because this (laughs) should not It should not be this way. Right. What I can bring home for myself is the satisfaction and being the kind of human being and the kind of department head that I am so proud of. Yeah. Oh, that's very well said. I think that's a great answer. This is the time where, you know, we've heard some of your amazing stories, but now we must kind of bring this whole show to an end. Mm. And we do so by transitioning into our third and final act. It is my personal favorite act. And this is the Hollywood hot seat where I am going to ask you 10 kind of rapid fire questions. And what I'm looking for here is the first answer that comes to mind. What is the gut instinct and the first kind of thing that pops to your head? It will be no comment, right? <laughs> no, 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 not no comment. Whatever, whatever. Or, or how of... about, don't ask me that. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> no, all right. <laughs> so, so let's see what we can come up with here. Heck yeah. Let's do it. Let's play the hot seat. Woo! Hollywood hot seat. All right, here we go. Question number one favorite movie. <gasps> Room with a View, Merchant Ivory. Oh, my God. The soul, the feeling free, the love, the life of an artist as opposed to the life of a pedant. I love it. Great answer. Number two, favorite TV show. Oh, my God. I loved Succession so much that that is my ringtone. Oh, wow. Uh Uh-huh. That's how much I love that show. That was brilliant. But I also, oh, I can't. Runner up. 
Give me your runner-up. Okay, the runner-up is Big Little Lies. I love Ooh. what Nicole Kidman and his darling Reese Witherspoon and their production company, and they're, they're coming up with the third season. It's going to be beautiful. I love it. Fantastic. Number three, a character I would have loved to play is... Okay, this is crazy, but I love The Sopranos, and I don't know why, but I love the character of Tony Soprano's mother. Okay. Played by Nancy Marchand. She was so mean. <laughs> um, and of course, that's really against type for me because I'm actually so nice that it's ridiculous. But yeah. the way she was so mean, the way it felt, because I liked all the characters, but it sizzled. It was, and I hate to use this word, but it was sexy. Not in sexual, but she made the scene sizzle. She was, right. oh God, if I could ever play something like that, I I just, she's so amazing. <laughs> I love it. On the bucket list to have a performance like that one. Excellent answer. There you go. Number four, favorite movie quote. Oh, favorite movie quote. Oh, oh. my God. I don't know. It would be some quote from Fleabag, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, and talk about gifted. There were so many one-liners, and I can't think of just one, because <laughs> all of them were just zingers that you want to needlepoint into little doilies. I think that's a great answer still. Excellent. Okay, very good. Number five here. This one's a, one of my favorites. Movie Night Essentials. What are your must-haves for a cozy movie night at home? Popcorn. Then I have this great LaCroix. Do you say LaCroix? Um, oh, yeah. But, LaCroix, LaCroix. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I, I get one that is raspberry and cranberry mix. Then I have some cranberry frozen that I drip Ooh. some in. And then I have some dried powdered lemons i shake some of that in and stir it up this is your own special movie cocktail oh my god it's so damn good there's nothing better that's fantastic all right well this relates to the next question here when you're on set what is your go-to craft service snack okay I have to have gluten-free, but that's why my skin looks so good, because I'm actually <laughs> celiac. So, Oh, interesting. Okay. I believe in inclusiveness, right? So why can't they get more gluten-free things? What I love is when a director is celiac or gluten-free, then we've got all the stuff. So I like delectable chocolates that Ooh. are gluten-free and pistachios. All right. Very good. Excellent answer. Number seven, who is a talent that you are dying to work with? Andrew Scott. Ooh. And, of course, he played the priest in Fleabag. And right. I am telling you, those scenes between that priest and Phoebe Waller-Bridge were just the steamiest dialogue I've ever heard in my life. I love Andrew Scott. I love it. There you go. All right. Fantastic. Excellent answer. That might relate to this next question here, which is, if you had the opportunity to bring a Hollywood legend, living or dead, to your house for dinner, who would you invite over? 
Phoebe Waller-Bridge. She's so brilliant and so alive and real. She's amazing. Fantastic. Number nine, one thing that you wish you knew when you started. If you could get in a time machine and go back to give your younger self a piece of advice about navigating this crazy world we call entertainment, what would you tell yourself back then? I would tell myself that as much as I like to rave about people that I love, for instance, you, I've never been able to be proactive and put myself out there in any way. I always thought I'm just not go-getter enough for this. I wish I'd known how just referral-based it is and all the more reason to be a great human being on the set because people remember that and they want human beings. Exactly. Like we said at the beginning, right? It's about who you know, not what you know. People want to work with people they enjoy being around. Exactly. Especially because these days, these are long hours sometimes. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Oh, my God, <laughs> yes. I really understand when there's you know people who just always work with the same people. Why wouldn't yeah. they? Oh, my God. Why wouldn't you, right? If you find something that works, yes. if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? And you can all be relaxed because that's the other thing. You can't be creative unless you're really relaxed. It doesn't Amen. work to make people tense. And so those people who have their little group, they're living the life. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Number 10, our final question here. What's the best piece of advice you have for someone who wants to get into this industry and work in Hollywood? Really getting on the set however you can mm. and being a good human being and people remember you and want to bring you back. And maybe at first you don't get paid that much or you're a PA, but I'm surprised how many times people ask me who's good because they know I'm a people person. And right. So I literally take my phone and get PAs and then I say to them, how would you like to expand? And I'll give their names in a heartbeat. Yeah. And a lot of times when I'm already going to be the makeup artist, the producers will ask me who to have in different departments. And I'm so happy to tell them because that means I get to work with these lovely people. So be lovely, work hard and be a human being. Excellent advice and an excellent way to bring this interview to a close. Marianne Hogan, it has been an absolute thrill having you on today, hearing your stories of your time throughout this crazy thing we call showbiz. And uh, I've loved every second of it. I hope we can do it again sometime. Let's do. Kyle on the Isle is an official podcast of Magic Lamp Productions and is recorded in the heart of Hollywood, California. This episode was executive produced and directed by me, Kyle Olson. Produced by Natalie Izquierdo and Lauren Wilson. Editing by Cody Crabb. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and rate it five stars. Every single review goes a long way. And while you're at it, give us a follow on our social media channels, at Kyle on the Isle. Thanks for listening. I'm Kyle Olson, and I'll be saving you a seat next time on the Isle. That's a wrap, folks. 